0: When I was about 13 years old, I think it was my grade 9 year in high school, lighters were the thing. You know, every year it seems like there's a thing. And uh, when I was in high school, at that age, uh, lighters were the thing. It seemed like everybody had a Zippo lighter. Like, it didn't matter if they smoked or not, they just had a lighter. Had some of these fancy lighters, all this kind of stuff. It was very, very trendy at the time. And you never really know why something's a thing. You just you just want to have the thing. You just want to be... So, I mean, I didn't have one of the cool lighters, uh, but I did. I did get myself one of those Bic lighters. You know, the plastic kind where you can see the lighter fluid and the little metal top and the flint. And I had one of those because I didn't want to be the only guy. I didn't have a lighter, so I had a lighter. And a friend of mine showed me how to take the, the, the cover off of the lighter and open the valve all the way, which turned the lighter, instead of this miniature little appropriate-sized flame, turn into this giant blowtorch. So that was pretty cool. People were like, hey, you got a lighter? Yeah, I do. And they'd start laughing at my big lighter, and then I'd light it. And they'd be like, whoa! Like, big flame. That's cool. Um... On one occasion, my, my older brother Travis came to visit our house. He had left the house at about 16 years old. And at the time, he was, he was, uh, he was uh, smoking and, and that kind of stuff. And so he had this, this girl that was with him. And uh, she would have been about the same age. And they were visiting us. And I was out there on the front lawn hanging out with them. And this girl that's with them, she pulls out a cigarette and she's like, anybody got a lighter? And of course, I'm like, of course I do. And I pull out my Bic lighter. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be cool, right? Because she's going to light this thing up. And it's going to like poof. And it's going to go, oh, that was, you know, ha, 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 funny. What I didn't calculate into my, um, was the fact that it was like 1991. And I don't know if you remember the hairstyles for women around 1990. She had this giant bird's nest of bangs that had been teased and hairsprayed repeatedly. So they would stay out like this. Didn't think about that. And I'll never forget... (laughs) She puts that cigarette in her mouth and she takes my Bic lighter and when she hits that flint, all I hear is a poof and her bangs are gone. They are gone. I ran as fast as I could into the powder room, locked that door and I was not coming out. Um, I learned a valuable lesson that day. Never mess with a woman's hair. Uh, That's what I learned. Lighters and hairspray, they don't go well together. Um... I did a lot of dumb things as a kid, a lot of memories, um, and, and each one of them I learned a lesson, right? That's kind of the idea. So you, you do something, good or bad, and then you kind of assess what you did, you monitor it, and then you modify your behavior, true? Most of us through the course of our lives have learned some things, like things you say, things you don't say the right time to do something, the wrong time to do, you kind of figure these things out. And so through the course of our life, from the time we're little to the time we're adults, and hopefully we're still learning, we're constantly monitoring and modifying our behavior. True. And, and in fact, what happens over time is we really do become um, behavior experts. We we learn the right things to do and, you know, hey, you act like this at church, you dress like this, you say these things, don't say those things, hallelujah. Amen. And then you go to work, and there's a different vocabulary, and people do things, and, and so you kind of you begin to figure out there are certain behaviors and things you're supposed to do, and so we kind of, we become great at behavior modification, and we kind of figure out as we go through life how to behave. And then there's these moments in life where either you or someone you know, let's just assume it's someone you know, you, you blow past the line, so you know this is, you don't say these things, but then all of a sudden, you say it. And People get hurt or you you do the very thing that you knew you shouldn't do and it blows up the relationship or it damages your friends or your work And and so what happens is like if you were to sit down with a person that did this Whether it's you or someone else and say did you know that that was the wrong behavior? They'd be like, yeah, I knew that was the wrong behavior, but then they blew by it or you blew by it anyway Why does that happen? That's what I want to talk about today uh, we've been in a message series called Guardrails, and for the past four weeks, you've had the privilege of, of hearing from Andy Stanley, and today I'm going to wrap up the series. Uh, tough act to follow, but I'll do my best. I'm uh, talking about this idea of guardrails. Guardrails. Now, we all know what a guardrail is. A guardrail is simply a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. I and mean, we've seen guardrails such as the one on the stage around um, the roads, and these guardrails are there to protect you from what's on the other side, Correct. They typically put a guardrail where there's a curve, where there's a river, where there's a cliff, where there's a deep ditch, or where you might uh, stray into oncoming traffic and hurt yourself. And so they're designed to keep your vehicle from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. In other words, a guardrail is there to direct you and to protect you. And, and one of the things that, that Andy's mentioned a few times is that guardrails are always placed in the safety zone. Have you noticed that? They're never in the danger zone. They're in the safety zone. So if they put the guardrail like four feet beyond the cliff, you know, you're driving in your car, you're flying off the side of the cliff, and you're like, oh, there's the guardrail. Wish they had to put that in the safety zone to keep you from going into the danger zone. So there's always, um, the guardrail is always in the safe place to keep you from going into something that will damage you further. In fact, the damage done by hitting a guardrail in your vehicle is actually much less than what would the damage would be if you hit what's on the other side, true? And that's why guardrails are so powerful They're placed in the safety zone. Guardrails provide us a a margin for error, right? When my my wife and I had our first home, and uh, Noah and Naomi, they were just little, and there was a birch tree in our front yard. It was kind of like halfway to the road. And I remember telling the kids, like, stay on this side of the birch tree. We'd be sitting out on the deck, and the kids would be playing in the yard, and that was fine. But the birch tree became the guardrail. And the reason why we said stay on this side of the birch tree is because if they went a little too far, they would be on the road, you know, chase a ball onto the road, and cars would be going by, on the road. And so, what we really didn't want is our kids on the road, but we, we made the birch tree the guardrail so there was a margin for error. The three year old forgot what he's doing and he's chasing a ball. There's, there's room for error. You understand what I'm saying? When I was a youth minister many, many, many years ago, um, teens used to come and ask me, they're like, So, where's the line? We just started dating. Like, how far can we go before it's sin? And I'm like, Whoa, birch tree. Like, you stay way over here. Because if you get too close and it gets too hot, you're in trouble. So like, let's, let's make the line here, a guardrail. And so when you start dating, you set up some guardrails. Say, here are things we're going to do and not do. Here are places we'll go and alone and all. You, you create some guardrails, creates margin for error so you don't go too far and end up in disaster. The other thing we've been saying about guardrails as it pertains to our lives is that a guardrail is a personal standard. Of behavior, a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. In other words, there are lines that you set up in your life that when you bump into them or when you begin to cross those lines, it dings your conscience. And you go, wait a minute, I need to stop here. It triggers something inside of you. And so you and I establish personal guardrails. A few people have mentioned to me since the series began, like, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I agree with this one or that one or what Andy said. And it's like, hey, this is personal. You have to figure out where your guardrails need to be. The reason why it's personal is because each of us has a, a ditch that we would, would tend towards. For some people in this room, maybe alcohol is something that is off limits for you. And you can't even go places where people have open alcohol. Or you can't have it in your home. And so you know that because that's a problem area for you. So you have to set strict guardrails that someone else in this room, no problem. They could have an open bottle right there, and they'd never, never even want it. So so you have to create guardrails to protect yourself. For other people, maybe you need guardrails with social media. Because if you didn't say, here's a limit, here's when I'll use it, how long I'll use it, you'd be on it 24-7, you know, PMing everybody, and, and following, tracking everybody's feeds, and ooh, look at that. That is not my problem. I can just tell you, I don't need a guardrail. I check my Facebook about every three weeks. So if you've been messaging me, I'll get back to you in about... 13 days uh, when I check it next. I, that's not a problem for me, but for some people it would be. For me, food might be, I might need some guardrails there, like not gummies and candies. You can, you can leave those on the counter. I won't touch them. But if somebody opens a bag of chips and just leaves it on the counter, there is um, no guarantee that will be there when you come back. Um, so you've got to create some guardrails that are specific for yourself to protect yourself from going too far in a particular area. They're, they're very personal. And a lot of people, as you hear about this concept of guardrails, you may be thinking, oh, this is good. I wish I wish my brother-in-law was here to hear this. I, I wish my kids were here. I wish my husband could just hear one of these messages because they need guardrails because we can see where other people go into ditches and we think we're fine. Uh, the other problem with guardrails is simply this, that um, when we establish guardrails in our lives, So if we set a guardrail financially, I'm not going to go into debt in this area, or I'm not going to be alone with this person, I'm not going to uh, be out past this hour, or whatever, you set guardrails, if you have guardrails in your life, you're going to end up running into them. And that's frustrating, because you're basically limiting your own behavior. And when you limit your behavior in enough ways, you're going to crash into it, and if you're like me, then there's this this tension that happens inside of you. And I like to think of it like the cartoons, where the little angels pop up, like... And then there's a little white angel and a little red angel. And the white one's usually wimpy. And the, and the red one's really muscular and angry and has a tail. And, and, and they begin this dialogue, right? And, and, and the, little, the little angel's going, well, hey, you hit this guardrail. That, that's dinging your conscience because you know that what's over there is dangerous. And you heard Andy Stanley say, and you decided, and this is wise. And then the little red angel's going, yeah, but look how much room there is on the other side of the guardrail. That thing's just in your way. You'll be fine. You can walk on the edge of the cliff. It'll be fine. And so there's this dialogue and tension going on. Am I the only person that's experienced this in my life? You guys are looking at me like, huh? I've never seen that. Um, so there's this tension. But here's the thing I want you to know Not having guardrails in your life doesn't mean you'll eliminate that tension. It just means you'll have that tension on the edge of the cliff instead of six feet away from the cliff where the guardrail should be. So it's really important for us to establish guardrails, to have boundaries for ourselves, ultimately that guardrail will protect you because the damage done when you hit it will be less on this side than if it wasn't there and present in your life. So today as we wrap up this series, uh, I want to talk about an area of your life and mine that I think is most important. In fact, I think it's more important than all the things we've talked about so far in this series. We've talked about relationships, we've talked about marriage, we've talked about money. But today I want to talk about guardrails for your heart. Guardrails for your heart. And the text I'm going to read to you in just a second is, um, it was written by a man named Solomon. And some of you have heard of Solomon. He was king of Israel. He was gifted by God with great wisdom. And not only did he have great wisdom, not only was he very studious in in watching other people's lives, but he also experimented with money and sex and power and prestige and property. And he experimented, he pushed himself across lines he shouldn't have crossed to see what would happen. and, And writes about it for our benefit. And in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he makes this statement that I think we ought to pay careful attention to. He says this above all else. Now, when someone like Solomon says, above everything else, I want to tell you something, I think we ought to pay attention. Do you agree? Above all else, guard your heart, protect your heart. Now, he's not talking about the organ in your chest. You should protect that. Eat vegetables. He's talking about your will your emotions, your thoughts, your inner life, the things that are going on within you. That's what he's, he's speaking about when he's talking about your heart, your soul. Guard your heart. I mean, we, we are very good at guarding things. I watch people all the time in the grocery store and they put their debit card in the machine. They don't want anybody to see their PIN number, right? Or, or they're sitting at the computer and they're gonna do a bank transfer and like, hey, turn around. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, enter. You know, <laughs> I hope none of you actually use that password. That's a terrible idea. But we protect. We protect our finances. You know, we, we keep our bank statements hidden. You know, we don't post that stuff up for people. So we, we protect our credit card numbers and we look for the little secure icon on the, on the web browser. And, like, we do things to protect our wealth. We do things to protect our image. Before you leave the house, you look in the mirror and you're like, fix that hair, you know, check your teeth. Yep, doing okay, looking good. You're, you, I mean, you prepare, because you, when you go out, you, there's an image of you that people see, and you want it to be good, right? And, and so we protect and guard our image, we protect our money, we protect our kids. If you have kids, and you know, the parent. It's like, put on that helmet, you know? You, you make sure that there's parental supervision, like, who's going to be there? And what are they doing? Is that safe? And then as, you know, when they're little, you cover sharp objects, and you cover all the outlets. You know, you baby-proof your home, because you want to guard your children. then as they get older you know you lock down the internet and you create curfews and you want to know who they're with so we do all this stuff to guard our kids guard our money guard our stuff set the alarm but we often neglect to guard our hearts isn't that true it's just like whatever goes goes and and Solomon is, is is saying to us look above all else more important than your money and your house and your car and your kids is your heart You've got to guard your heart. And here's why he says we ought to do this. He says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. Another translation says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues or the springs of life. Now, you, to understand the metaphor that he's using, you have to understand that he lived in a place called Israel, which is arid desert type land, Very dry. And the source of life for the people would be these springs of water that would, that would come up out of the ground. And, it's, and out of this dry ground would come fresh, clean, drinking water. And it would provide life to, to the plants and to the people that lived in the area. These springs were crucial. And so Solomon is like looking at a spring of water coming out of the dry earth and going, that's like your heart. Somewhere inside of you, everything that you think, say, and do flows out from some hidden place within you You've got to guard that. You've got to guard what's happening inside. Because what's inside of you, what's happening inside of you right now, will ultimately leak out into the rest of your life. Did you know that? We have to guard our heart because everything you do comes out of it. In order to guard our hearts, we have to understand and recognize the fact that our heart is the source of our life. That the stuff that's going on inside actually translates to the outside eventually. And so in Matthew chapter 15, there's this interesting conversation that we're going to jump into where where Jesus is is being confronted by some religious leaders of his day. And the religious leaders are are going to challenge him around a tradition that they have. In the Old Testament, God commanded the the priests to, to wash their hands ceremonially before they serve the Lord in the temple. And what they had done is they had then taken that law that God gave to the priests and made it a tradition for everyone. They said, before you eat, everyone has to do this ceremonial washing. And of course, Jesus did not enforce this because it wasn't a law. It was their tradition. And so these religious leaders see Jesus' disciples eating food without having done this special washing. And they approach Jesus and like, why don't you command them to do that? And and Jesus makes this incredible statement to them. He says, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person. But he says, but rather what comes out of a person that defiles the person. And, and the crowds are like, whoa, that's, wow, that's deep. And then, and then they kind of disperse. And after this happens, uh, Peter, you know, he's kind of the spokesperson for Jesus' disciples. He's like, hey, Jesus, come here. Um, would you mind explaining that to the boys? Like, I knew what you were talking about. That was great, by the way. That was awesome how you shut those guys up. Um, but I know what you meant. But, you know, some of the guys are a little confused. I was going to explain to them, but I thought maybe it would be better if, if you kind of explained it. It would probably be better. Of course, none of them had any clue what Jesus was talking about. And Jesus responds with these words. Let's take a look at them. Verse 15, verse 16 of chapter 15. And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Really, guys? You really don't get that? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, the things that you eat, passes into the stomach, yeah, we're with you, Jesus, and is expelled? Yeah, okay, we got it. You know, a couple chuckles, a group of guys, potty jokes, insert those there. Um, Jesus is like, come on guys, like, don't you get it, what you eat goes here and then kind of exits out the back of the building, whatever, 12, 24 hours later, um, it goes through you, it's the point. We got it, Jesus. Then he goes, continues, he says, but what comes out of the mouth, in other words, the words that we speak, he says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. We're not, we're not talking about food anymore, we're not talking about germs anymore, we're talking about heart. We're talking about what comes out of our mouth. to, to, To add more context to this, he continues to explain in the next verse saying this. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, or we could say lying, and slander, speaking evil of others. Jesus says these behaviors that ultimately will destroy you and destroy the people around you these behaviors that drive a wedge between the relationship that you have with God, these are the things that defile a person, not the kind of food you're eating, not whether you wash your hands or not. He's like, it's what proceeds out of your heart that defiles you. He continues in verse 20. He says, these, these behaviors that hurt us, that hurt others, that ultimately offend God are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus is trying to take their attention off the outward behavior, off the behavior modification, and onto and onto the heart. And, and this is the problem. The Jewish leaders had always looked at the laws of God, the rules that God gave them, as like things like a checklist, and it was like we could do these, and we're and and. But it was always a heart issue for God. Uh, recently, I guess last Sunday we went for dinner with my family. And I won't give you all the details, but essentially one of our children was running with a long, sharp stick. Another one of our children, my son Nathaniel, our son Nathaniel, came running around the other corner and got a stick in the back of the throat. Um, I spent last Sunday night in the emergency room with my son. It was exciting. And it was an answer to prayer because we didn't have to wait long. It was amazing. Uh, But we went in there. He's fine. I don't see concern everywhere. He's fine. Um, He's all healing up. The reason why I tell you that is because the next morning uh, I came down the stairs and he was kind of sitting on the floor with the dog and I was high like, how is your throat? He's like, oh, it's sore. It hurts to swallow. I'm like, but you're good. Doctors, so you, you know, yeah. And then he turns to me and has this epiphany. Have You ever had one of those where he just all of a sudden stuff clicks. He looks me in the eye and he says, you know, dad, he's like, I always wondered why you guys said not to run with sticks. <laughs> now I know. And I'm thinking to myself, remember this moment when you asked to date. Because when we set more, like, no, you're not. Well, why? Trust us. Trust us. When God says don't lie, it's not because he wants to give you a difficult time. Because lying destroys relationships. When he says don't commit adultery, it's because he knows what's best for us. And when we start to get out of the behavior modification into the heart level, things, things begin to make so much more so much more sense. When, uh, when God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint the new king of Israel, uh, Samuel was looking at uh, Jesse's sons, and they were, they were big and strong and handsome, and he's like, ooh, this one's good. And God speaks to, to the prophet and says, look, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord searches and looks at the heart, right? He's like, I'm more interested in what's going on inside you than how things look on the outside of you. That's true, and you know this, and I know this, because ultimately our behavior will eventually mirror our heart. You can put on a show for a while, you can do the good church thing, you can pretend your marriage is fine, you can, you can be nice to people, but if there's something wrong inside, eventually it will leak out, won't it? And you know this, and you can play the game for a while, but our behavior will eventually mirror what's happening in our heart. So with the, the, the time that we have left this morning, I, I want to... Um, I want to talk about four things that if they are present in our heart and undealt with can cause untold damage to us and to the people we love. And not only that, but they drive a wedge in our relationship with God too. And and these are things that we need to have guardrails for. And I'm going to share a few of those with you. Now there are a lot of things we could talk about as it pertains to the heart. But I'm going to give you a list of four things that we want to guard our hearts against. Let me give you the list. Here they are. Guilt. Guilt. Anger, greed, and jealousy. Uh, We could talk about more, but let's start with these. Guilt. Guilt says, I owe you. I owe you. I've done something wrong. I've mistreated you. I haven't done what I was supposed to do. I feel guilty about it. I owe you something. And when our hearts are filled with guilt, it leads to walls. It leads to inauthenticity, dishonesty, and secrets. And those things, the weight that we carry of guilt, it it does, it seeps into our relationships. And it changes the way we interact and the way we trust and the way we communicate. And it just, it causes so much harm. And and I like to describe it this way, because when I feel guilty, it feels like I'm carrying a weight. And that weight, the longer you carry it, the heavier it gets. And so guilt is, is one of those things that we need to have some guardrails against in our lives. The second one is anger. And anger simply says, you owe me. You owe me. You've taken something. You've done something to me. You owe me something because of what's happened. And here's the thing about anger. Because anger wells up inside of us. Anger is never isolated. You ever notice this? There have been times when I've had to apologize to my children because I overreacted to my children because I was actually angry with someone else. Maybe I'm the only one who's done that. right? It's like, you're grounded for a month. And they're like, what? Like, I barely did anything. But it's because I'm mad at somebody else and it has nothing to do with them. It's like, hey, I'm sorry. My anger just in that relationship that's undealt with has seeped into this relationship. That's what anger does. It doesn't know boundaries. So we need to have guardrails for it. The third one is greed. Greed says, I owe me. Last week, Andy, Andy Stanley talked about this. He said, the assumption that it's all for my consumption, all my time, my money, my stuff is for me. And if you think like that, And if that's what's in your heart, can I tell you, you will very quickly alienate the people around you and do much harm as you make everything about you. You don't want to let greed go unchecked in your heart. The last one is jealousy. Jealousy simply says, life hosts me, right? It's like, it's like that person got the promotion. It should have been mine. That person got a new car. I should have a new car. That person got the opportunity that I should have got and inside receiving with jealousy, and it destroys us and it harms the people we love and it drives a wedge between us and our Heavenly Father. Now, so I want to give you a few guardrails, so we'll just keep that list up on the screen. And, and when it comes to guilt, when, when you sense this, this idea of I owe you, when you are carrying guilt, the guardrail for guilt when you find it in your heart is confession. Confession. It's opening, opening up your mouth and confessing it. You know, I've, I've talked to people, literally, I've known people um, who've been in extramarital affairs and they finally confessed it to their spouse. And can I tell you, that is an ugly scene and that's brutal and the depth of the pain is immense. But they've told me after the fact, it was like a weight of a thousand tons came off their shoulder. And whether the relationship survives or not, it was like finally there could be some movement and some healing and some... Just uh, people who have lied and then finally said, I've lied. Or they've been struggling with hidden sin and they finally confess it. And it's like, oh, I've been carrying this hidden thing for so long. And I'll tell you what, when you confess, it's a guardrail. And when you confess hidden something or other, it's like hitting that guardrail. And can I tell you, it hurts. And there's damage always. But the damage of hitting that guardrail of confession is way less than the damage of unchecked running off the rails into whatever's on the other side. So if you're carrying a load of guilt and you're under it, you need to confess. You need to move towards a guardrail that will save you ultimately. Secondly, we have anger. You owe me. And and the guardrail for anger is forgiveness. 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 And we're not talking about general forgiveness, like, oh, I forgive so-and-so for hurting me. I'm talking about figuring out exactly what they took from you, exactly how they hurt you. Oh, they cost me a job. They cost me this much money. They cost me these relationships, specifically what it costs you, and then letting go of the debt. You may be thinking, well, if I do that, I'm letting them go. I'm letting them go free. Yeah, you're also letting yourself go free. And and you have to forgive. You have to forgive. Otherwise, that anger will eat you up. And it won't just affect you. It'll affect all the people around you that you love. And so forgiveness is the guardrail for anger. Greed is the third one. I owe me. You know what the guardrail for greed is? Generosity. Giving. For some of you, you are, like, that is, I mean, that's your ditch. I mean, it's your stuff. It's your money. It's like, you've got objects in your life that are, that are more important than anything else. And maybe you should sell it. (laughs) Get as much as you can for it and give it to a charity. Give it to somebody in need. And when you do that, you're literally laughing in the face of greed, saying, you are not going to own my heart. Some of you need to write a a big for you check. That's a check that, you know, for someone may not be a big deal, but for you it's a big deal. And and the point of it isn't where the money goes. The point of it is that you are breaking the power of greed in your heart. Because if that doesn't go unchecked, if that goes unchecked, I'm sorry. It will damage you and the people you love. Jealousy is the last one. Jealousy says life owes me. And the guardrail for, for jealousy is, is celebration. It's thankfulness. It's, it's, hey, that person got a promotion. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write them a note and say, hey, congratulations. You go, I don't feel like doing that. It should have been my job. Yeah, I know. But you, have, you can break the power of jealousy by taking steps towards celebrating others, taking steps towards thanking God for the things, for the things that you have instead of complaining about the things you don't have. Breaking the power of these things at the heart level before they spill out into the rest of your life. Is this making sense to anybody? God is most concerned with the heart. And, and we often, you know, as I said, we pay attention so much to the external stuff, how a person looks, how they behave, all that stuff. As parents it's really easy for us to just look at our kids' behavior and try to manage that. But ultimately we, we we want heart change. We want we want their hearts to flourish, correct? And so we do that. It's like it's like a vehicle. You can you can take your car and you can wash it and wax it and vacuum it and armor all of it and everyone looks at your car and goes, Amazing, but if you never change the oil in the motor, that thing's done. You have a beautiful car that ain't going nowhere. But because it's invisible, because you don't see what's happening under the hood, it's easy to miss. And so you have to set up some systems to remind you, right? My car has a little light. It comes up and it says, oil change. And if I miss that, there's a sticker on the window saying, at these kilometers, get your oil changed. Because it's easy to miss the things that are internal. We focus on all the external stuff. But God is most concerned with what's happening um, at the heart level. So Proverbs 4.23, let me finish by reading the text one last time. Above all else, he says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.